We're one month into the AFL season, so it's time to take stock of the first four rounds of footy. Who is the league's most improved player? Which team is the one to beat? And Champion Data analyses the peculiar trend in scoring. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. I'm going to be your host for the, the day. And the man to my left is looking pretty happy with himself after his football team managed to break through for their first win of the year. Neil Seawang, the Ds are on the board. <laughs> it's been a while, and at least I do have a smile on my face because I've got three Carlton supporting colleagues here in the room, and there's not too many smiles amongst us after that, that result. Well, Jake Michaels was fortunate enough to not have to watch it because uh, he was in China covering the Formula One Grand Prix. Jake, you've just got off a plane. How are you feeling? I'm struggling. I'm going to be honest. I reckon I slept 90 minutes on that flight back and uh, probably need a shower, so I'm standing pretty probably. far away from you guys at the moment. <laughs> and Jake, obviously... Um, the AFL's really pushed hard into the uh, the heartland of, of China. I'm sure you saw a lot of young kids in Port Adelaide. Uh, yeah, Robbie Gray. Over, I mean, he's a place. star of every second person's walking around with a Robbie Gray shirt. A couple of Connor, billboards. Connor Rosie's got a few over there as well. So it's going well. Oh, of course, we're looking forward to that China game. And Christian Jolly from Champion Data is with us as always. How are you going? Yeah, going well. Thank you. Well, I thought I'd start things off a little bit differently today, guys. Uh, as we know, or as us Melburnians know, the comedy festival is on at the moment. So I thought I'd throw it open to the group to start off with. What is the funniest thing you've seen at a sporting event? Jake, would you like to kick us off? Well, not really. You've thrown me under the bus here. Um, I'm not sure, but I, but on the topic of funny things I've seen, I when I was in China, there was a guy at the train station, walked into the train station, the metro, carrying a circular saw... On his shoulder. A guy that was getting on the train, mind you. But he comes in, plugs it in to a power outlet in the station. I'm not even joking. And tests it. It's working. Takes it out and hops on the metro. Isn't that supposed to be something you and do I, at the store? Try I before couldn't you believe it. I had, I had to take a photo of it because I've got a photo. So, yeah. Unbelievable. Follow us on Twitter at Footy Tips and we'll try and tweet that photo. Can we get that photo? Later. Yes. <laughs> Gee, that is fascinating. Neil, do you have a, a funny sporting story? Oh, I love the characters of the game. Thinking about it in footy terms and being a Melbourne supporter, the antics that Alan Jakovic used to get up to, kissing his brother and, uh, you know, carrying on like a pork chop. I used to love that sort of stuff. But I also love looking, you know, some of the stuff that happens in the crowd is hilarious and a couple of things that, you know, one was very well um, publicised last year, the Melbourne cheese platter. Uh, and also this year... Um, that was you, wasn't it? That was me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, wore a disguise that day. Um, nothing wrong with a good cheese platter, by the way. Triple cream, brie? Yeah, a bit of quince paste. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, there, was a, there was a fan earlier this year that was eating a pie with a knife and fork. You know, come on. You go to the pie, you wrap your hands around I'll it. Tell you what, Melbourne supporters don't do themselves any favours, do they? <laughs> yeah, the team doesn't do us much favours either. <laughs> Christian, anything you've uh, caught your eye over the years? Yeah, it's a little bit worrying. I've got a kissing trend too. I was actually there at Waverley when Dermot Brereton kissed, uh, I think it was Billy Duckworth for Essendon, uh, just before three-quarter time, and then proceeded to run through their huddle at three-quarter time. And I was probably six or seven years old and just thought this was the funniest and most greatest thing I'd ever seen You know, happen on a football field, that you know, Derby was just sort of taking over. The good old days. Mine, uh, mine actually isn't on-field. Mine was off-field. I saw some poor fella walking back to his seat with a tray of beers and managed to kick his own feet, feet um, and spilled the tray, so 40 bucks down the drain and a dollar seventy-five for the tray if he was at the SCG. So I couldn't help but laugh. I mean, but you feel bad for him all the yeah, same. Yeah, I hope he didn't see you laughing. Yeah, no, no, I was, I was a little bit far away, but when you sort of hear that noise of like, the clatter and the, oh, crap, like you kind of turn around and you go, oh, that poor fella. <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's get into the real stuff. It's time for our first segment. It's time for three on three. Touched on it off the top, uh, but we're going to talk about who we think a month in the most improved 
player in the AFL is. We've all got different opinions on this. Neil, I might throw to you first if I can. Who have you got as your most improved player through four rounds? Yeah, four rounds is just enough time to start getting your head around um, teams and individuals. Um, and with apologies to a couple of, of players in particular, Jacob Wiedering, um, uh, Hopper and McCluggage, uh, I've settled on Jack Bowes. And this is even before he broke Carlton um, fans' hearts on the weekend. Jack who? <laughs> Not even Do thinking about it. you have to rub it in? You, you keep <laughs> rubbing twice, it Twice this morning already. It's a pretty easy target, but he, I, I've loved um, the way he's blossomed. He was a number 10 pick in 2016, a Gold Coast Academy product. Uh, he's averaging 23 touches, five tackles, and three clearances per game, but also the intangibles, the leadership that he's shown. Um, he, he looks like he's leading that core group of young sons. They've stripped everything back, and he's really part of that um, that young core that the, the Gold Coast need to blossom together, and he looks like he's, he's leading that charge. For a 21-year-old, you're right, he has a nice presence on the field. Um, only young still, so there's plenty of upside in his game but I think we were talking before uh, we came on air that he's also done a couple of sort of run loose run with roles as well and something he might be able to add to his game further down the track is is being able to nullify opponents while also getting your 24-25 touches a game yep 100% Jake uh, who do you think has been the most improved so far this season um, well obviously when, when you think about the most improved player you generally sort of think of guys that have been sort of not struggling but sort of your, your B and C grade types that have taken the, the step up but I'll throw out two names, and I think Christian's got some stats to, to probably back these up as well. But two names that I reckon have just had exceptional starts of the year are Patrick Cripps from Carlton and Lockie Whitfield from the Giants. They've both been playing at an elite level, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were you know, sort of top three already in the Brownlow medal. Yeah, so looking at Cripps, I mean, he's, you know, as we were saying just before the podcast, he's probably these two players probably gone from A graders into the A+. Plus. Uh, bracket. So Paddy Cripps uh, averaging 30 disposals, so probably one more per game than he was last year. He's up to 21.3 contested possessions. That's world record pace, four more than he had last year. 101 more metres gained per game as well, so actually carrying the ball further up the field. Clearances, he's got you know almost two and a half more per game than he had last year. Pressure acts are up by six per game. Tackles up by two per game. Just does it all. He does. And Lockie Whitfield, I mean, he's... Uh, the most impressive thing for Lockie Whitfield is he's actually switched ends of the field. They're playing him off a half-forward flank instead of a half-back flank. His disposal have gone up to 34 touches per game, 26 uncontested possessions. For someone that's playing in the forward half to find the ball 26 times uncontested, it's a very valuable role he's uh, playing. I think now he's he's just about one of the best users in the competition. And I think coaches now, when they're coming up against the Giants, they've really got to put time in him. He's just about their most important player because I feel like when he plays well, the Giants generally win. But why is he not being picked up by someone? Why is he so opponent-phobic? Like People don't go to him. And he's racking up 40 disposals, punishing the other team with... He doesn't the level waste of it. disposal. Exactly. He'd never waste the football. It's and an interesting um, debate thinking about, you know, what, what, how do you define most improved? So Jake's gone for two guys that, as Christian has said, have probably gone from A graders to A plus, whereas I obviously went for a young guy that's taken some great strides. So uh, I'm, it- I'm kind of in the middle of that. I've, okay. I've, I've picked Zach Jones from the Swans. I think his move from halfback to the middle has been pretty good. He's averaging 25 touches a game up from 19. He's doubled the average tackles that he had last year. Um, 6.25 inside 50s, which is more than double. I guess it makes sense that he was off a half-back line and now he's sort of further up the ground. But he provides speed in a midfield that's been traditionally quite slow. Probably needs to polish his ball use a bit more uh, and and make probably smarter decisions. But he's well on track to be one of the the sort of more improved players in the league, I think. It's good timing for him if he's out of contract. and uh, The Saints are circling, apparently. Mm. Oh, there you go. And 
Christian, do you have a, a player in, in in your eyes through the the lens of a of a stats man that that you really like this year? Yeah, so I got a few honourable mentions as well. So Jacob Hopper and uh, Jack Bowes, who you mentioned. Oh, I didn't really want to bring up Jack Bowes this <laughs> week, but we have, so we'll go there. Humor Cluggage and Jack Martin are two other ones I think are you know really improving. The one that I've sort of settled on though wasn't even picked for his team in round one, and that's Rowan Marshall, who's uh, taken hold of the uh, number one ruck mantle at St Kilda. He's only twenty three years old. Um, I just see him as that modern-day Ruckman, the follow-up Ruckman. So he's above average for disposals, marks, clearances, goals. So he does everything around the ground. He's only average for his actual Ruck work at the moment. But for a 23-year-old Ruckman, I think that's what you want. You want him to break even and sort of use his athleticism around the ground. Uh, we've got him as a second-rated Ruckman behind Brodie Grundy so far this year. Wow. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. You, not who you'd pick to be second behind someone like Brodie Grundy, who had a stellar game on Friday mm. night as well. Um, okay, well, speaking of one month in, the ladder's now also starting to settle. Um, so we can sort of get a gauge on which teams are good, which teams are not, basically. Who is the team to beat this year, Neil? Yeah, you talk about the ladder settling. It still looks a little bit bizarre to me, but there's still a couple of standout teams. For me, West Coast, if I had to put money on a, on, a, on the grand final you know, at the end of the year, the way that they can pick apart, pick apart teams... Uh, the fact that they won it last year without Nick Nat, who should return mid-year. Uh, Gaff's had a huge return um, this Shepherd. season. Shepard as well. And I just think they're tactically a, a really wonderful, um, wonderfully organised uh, unit. And you know, the way they beat Collingwood a couple of weeks ago on the MCG, uh, one of their, their flag rivals, I, I, I'm, I'm really strong on, on the West Coast to have a game to win finals. They're a smart team. They play to their strengths, West Coast. And it sounds crazy because every team should do it, but they really do play to their strengths. And we touched on last week how... The kick-mark the, game that they used so The kick-mark, but also the clearances. They're, they're not they're not so focused on winning clearances and putting pressure on at the coalface. They're, they're more than happy to win the ball off half-back and pick their way up the field and score, and they've got such a talented forward. Such line. elite intercept marks in that back half. It's, I mean, little wonder why they sort of are happy to win it back there because they will basically. Who, you know? who else can we see, you know, challenging the Eagles? I think Collingwood. Obviously, they haven't had a great record against the Eagles. Lost the last three, I think. But um, I still think with all the talent on that list, they're just still the team to beat in my eyes. Um, it's going to click a bit like Melbourne. I think it'll click for Melbourne at some point as well. Kind of did a little bit um, against uh, Sydney. But yeah, I think it's going to click for for Collingwood and Nathan Buckley and they're just going to go on a bit of a tear and they're going to be get almost unbeatable. They've just got to work out how to win at the MCG. That's their, that's their problem at the moment. Yeah, I'll probably go GWS for my team. Um, again, oh, you've stolen mine. And I, I just told you to go ahead of yeah, me as well. Yeah, exactly. You put me in front of the line. Um, so again, I... I'm probably with Neil. Uh, I think West Coast are the team to beat. They're the reigning premiers. You know, they look like their game style is um, sort of going to hold up for another year. But GWS for me, they sort of travel under the radar just that slightly. People are sort of riding them off in the off season, not knowing. You know, losing Scully and a few other players. Um, we sort of always wonder when it's you know when is GWS sort of finishing going to drop off the perch. I think they're going to be up there for another year and at least make another prelim. It's kind of weird. Like they do lose a lot of players, but they always sort of it always comes back to sort of the point that. They're surplus. Tom Scully, sure, great player when he's on, but he's he's a little bit injury prone, um, and he's surplus to what the Giants need. They so keep they've got the such players a, they need. That's, that's exactly what right. Really they're very well. shrewd with their sort of list management, and to be able to keep these players who could clearly probably get more money elsewhere, I think they're doing an excellent job of just having a nice deep list that will hold them in good stead going towards September. That's the benefit of being able to stockpile all that elite talent. You know, you might lose one or two really impressive players, but then you you get a high reward for them coming back, and then you can reinvest that into the draft. And if enough 
good young players like look at Hopper and Taranto and Whitfield and um, all these young players that are coming through together. And even if they lose another one this year, then they'll get a high draft pick again. So it's it's a cycle that, that looks like it's going to be very successful for them. Can anyone make a case for Richmond? Does, did Was Richmond's win more of an indication of Richmond or was it more of an indication of Port Adelaide being inconsistent? Oh, it's got to be Port, doesn't it? I go well, a, little, no, bit, I I go a little bit half and half on that. I mean, you watch Port the last three or four years and we were sort of saying before, they sort of they, they lose the unlosable. Um, they lose from um, pretty unusual positions. But Richmond are the ones, that, they're the team that keep coming at you. Mm. Um, for the last year or so, you know, the fourth quarter, you're never safe against Richmond. So it's almost that perfect blend of one team that can't quite hold on and one team that's always going to overtake you. I, I thought it was one of the most impressive wins, home and away wins that I can remember. The fact that they had so many they had the big four out for the first time in how many years and the fact that their their next tier all stepped up against a pretty good team you know they are a bit hot and cold but producer yeah. Jesse's just very happy with himself uh, <laughs> a big smile there for a our very for big our Richmond smile on, on the dials but I can still make a case for Richmond to, to push all the way in September I wouldn't be putting my money on them but you know they'll get some some players back towards the end of the year and if they play with that sort of spirit who knows I know Damien Hardwick's a premiership winning coach but that's just about got to be one of his best wins, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. It was pretty impressive. Something else that caught my eye during the week, gentlemen, and feel free to weigh in on this, and I, I did mention it in the Heroes and Villains I column. I think this more than caught your eye. You've got some You've real got a bit of hot steam takes on this. <laughs> Can I do the rant this week, Jake? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, so, Saturday night, uh, North Melbourne, Adelaide, Ben Brown. A uh, couple of contests where it appeared that he staged for free kicks. He kicked uh, two goals uh, in the second half. The team won by two goals, but both free kicks were not there. And he exaggerated contact, and it was an... A, look, uh, this is a cliche in footy, but it was yeah. an absolute disgrace. Well, staging it as, as a whole is, is a disgrace. And I, I don't think, not just AFL, but any sport, you know, there's no room for, for, for trying to coerce the umpire into giving you a free kick or any sort of benefit. I'm not saying... Again, I've seen it. It's one of the, the few highlights I have seen from uh, Shanghai. That it travelled over there. It was, <laughs> it was on the front page over there. But, um, yeah, it was just one of these bizarre things that he seems to be a repeat offender, but it hasn't been spoken about an awful lot, has it? He is a recidivist, and it was a talking point last year. Uh, there are a couple of instances, and the AFL came out pretty, pretty strongly and said, we're going to find players. Uh, and they also, I think they threatened that they might suspend players but never did they, they, so there was four um, staging fines last year the most famous one was the Alex Rance on Buddy and I, I, I applauded that because as Jake says you don't want this infiltrating the game too much and if they're going to stamp it down they need to make almost shame the players that do it to, to not do that in, in a sport like AFL it's I'm not sure if, if we can put Brown what's the difference between staging and exaggerating contact if at all I don't I'm asking oh, well, I think it's before. almost the same, the same thing. thing yeah I think the whole point of your the contact isn't enough to throw yourself forward. The rough you throw con- your arms in the air, and that is his way of getting the umpire's attention to pay a free kick. In my mind, he was simply out muscled in that ruck contest, and as soon as he was out of it, he threw his arms back like a wacky inflatable arm man, mm-hmm. and the umpire paid a free kick. And it was wrong to pay the free kick. Bad umpiring. But the, the, look, the AFL should probably also um, indicate that it's not going to stand, and they should fine him. So I think Ben Brown, again, sort of uh, 
don't know if I agree or disagree with the whole stage. I, think, I don't think he is too much of a stager. But, again, just going to the stats, 30% of his goals across the last two years have come from free kicks, and that is the highest percentage of the top 50 goal kickers. So I'll just, I'll just leave that one with you. That, How do you interpret that, though? Look, and, and that's the thing. You, you can't sort Pretty of say, and, and, you know, 99% of them could be genuine free kicks, but there could be you know 10% of one-on-one contests where he is staging. You know, he doesn't get a free kick. It's hard to sort of look at that. But it does sort of, it does sort of show that, you know, he's one of those guys that is sort of involved in a lot of these free kicks. Exaggerates a lot of contact. If he runs under, if he finds out that he's not going to be able to mark a ball and he's running under the flight of a footy, more often than not, the arms and legs go flailing. And He's it's, a bit of an awkward mover an awkward at moving, times, but yeah. I don't think that sort of... But that's, I think the other thing you notice with him, he's always playing in front. So I think those numbers there with the free kicks being high up, it's because he is always up on the lead, getting his arms chopped or pushed back. So again, I think the position he puts him in sort of does help him receive free. So, so Matt, do you think the AFL has um, missed an opportunity to stamp down on the staging by giving him a, a green light from his actions on the weekend? Well, yes. Pretty pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're always going to say, oh, look, the umpire, you know, he paid a free kick, so it's there. But as far as I'm concerned, Ben Brown now knows he can get away with it. Other players might look at it and think, hey, I can get away with it, but that's not on. And I'm not saying it changed the outcome of the game. I know they lost by two goals and he kicked two goals from pretty dubious frees, but... You can't have that in the game. It was such a bad look, and it really, really irked me. Well, we'll keep an eye on that for the rest of the season, no doubt. We will. It's time to move on. How about stat with Champion Data? In recent years, the AFL has been pretty hell-bent on manufacturing higher-scoring games and more free-flowing contests, but current scoring trends might worry those at AFL HQ. It's even drawn the attention of Hawks coach Alistair Clarkson, who had some interesting thoughts on the topic. There's a lot of games being decided by small margins with not many goals being scored. Um, who, would have, who would have thought the the Pies and the Dogs would have the game that they had on? You know, like, yeah, you know, 90 uncontested marks, each, uh, not each, but between them in the first quarter on Friday night. 10 inside 50s to 9. Um, one goal to zero goals, you know. Um, the game is in a really, really interesting phase and everyone's trying to work it out and um, I ain't got any answers just at the minute and I don't think many others have either. Do you expect it will settle down and people figure it out and scoring will tick up again? What are your thoughts on Your crystal ball is as good as mine, mate. Got no idea. So, Clarko doesn't have any answers, but we're hoping we might be able to get some because we've sent Christian away with the task of boiling down just what's going on. So... Christian, what's champion data's say on the subject? Yep, so we'll start with the most obvious one, the one that everyone's jumping on. Scoring is down. Points points per game are down to 81 per game at the moment this year, uh, down from 83 last year. Again, everyone was jumping on the bandwagon last year for how low scoring had gotten last year for the lowest in 40 years, and we've gone below that again. The worrying sign for me also is round one to four last year was at 88 points uh, per game, and usually earlier in the season we do see the higher or higher average score across the first few rounds so at 80.9 at the moment it could possibly only drop from here as the season and the weather sort of you know and um, fatigue as well I guess yeah yeah, all that stuff comes into account so that's the first part of it so right now there's no excuses for, for scoring basically well, Adelaide's now a sheltered stadium more than it was when it was Amy Stadium Marvel has the roof closed more often than not the MCG is a nice rounded walled stadium Optus Stadium doesn't allow too much wind in like what's going on like this is this is why it's it's, it's such a strange this is why Clarko didn't have any answers it's very well, if strange he, if he doesn't have any answers and he's probably the the most you know incredible AFL mind that the industry has well, what hope the rest of us uh, so 
going on from points, the actual scoring shots per game, though, are right around the same point we had last year. So 25.3 shots per game last year, 25.4 this year. So it's actually gone up 0.1. So guys are taking more shots at goal, but scoring's down. So obviously it goes straight to the accuracy column. Column, we're down at 46% accuracy. So I'll start back at 2016. We're at 50%. 2017, 49%. 2018, 47%, down to 46% this year. So it's dropped Again, 4% in four that's, years. That's really and worrying, isn't it? Cannot figure out why. Like We were sort of discussing this before. It's it's just this trend that has continued for four years on with no sort of signs of improvement. That's Everyone Everyone harps on about everything in the game has improved apart from goal kicking. And it, it sounds like it's actually true. I remember um, whether you put it down to the players are running farther, so they're more fatigued when they're taking shots. Um, is it a lack of practice? I remember Alex Malcolm from ESPN Crick Info, who used to do a lot of um, AFL writing for us, wrote a brilliant piece um, a couple of years ago, which we'll tweet out from the Footy Tips um, uh, handle, looking at the lack of specified goal kicking AFL clubs and players do, comparing it to, you know. Um, golfers who practice their swing free throws NBA exactly tennis players serving you know they, they put countless hours in and Alex wrote that a lot of clubs don't it's disorganised chaos they take a few sh- snaps and shots after training um, one club insider that I spoke to um, last week mentioned the fact that it might only be one or two percent of their entire football program do they look at and practice goal kicking so and even then he said that uh, it might not be from the same spot I mean if you're having 50 shots at goal, he said that you might have five from 10 different positions. Five from 10 different positions isn't going to improve your kicking. No, and and then the, there's the whole mental side of it. Do they? Do you want to make it a big thing for the player who's missed a few shots and really try and harp, um, tinker with their, their mindset, or does that exacerbate the problem too? So, But whatever the answer is, I know if I was in charge of a club, I would be putting a lot of time and resources into getting our players kicking straighter because it's, it's, no, it's pretty obvious. Again, I think it's one of those underrated stats. So if you win the accuracy, you win the game 69% of the time this year. So that, that stacks up better than disposals, clearances, some of the other things, you know, you're always practicing the ball movement sort of stuff. It, that's a really high correlation with winning. Should recruiters, know, now look- Sorry, should recruiters now be looking at, um, with young talent and pro- young prospects, do they look at guys that are actually accurate shots for goal. Is that now the most important skill to have? Josh Shackey was one of the most impressive shots for goal in his junior um, career and then came into the AFL system and has been a little underwhelming in terms of his accuracy and his set shots. I guess you can never sort of replicate the pressure of AFL football. Um, I look at someone like Jeremy Cameron who's a a great kick for goal um, from anywhere really and it's like you want those guys. Jack Rewalt, a a lot of these key forwards are really good set shots and it's like that has to be the most important skill in football yeah. these days. It's staggering that, that more focus isn't put on that. Yeah, why aren't they going land? out and having 100 shots from 40 out straight in front and then 100 shots from... Who knows? There must be a reason for it. But Oh, I mean, you know... Certainly players... for forwards. Yeah. Exactly. There's no excuse for forwards. No excuse. That's, that's, that's what, what they're what paid they're to paid do. For. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> well, look, we can rule out one thing. I remember doing uh, a little bit of research with Jake last year about the red ball versus the yellow ball. I had a weird, crazy theory that the red ball was less accurate than the yellow ball because of the makeup of the leather and all that sort of stuff. But we found two it was, hours later, zero point zero two. Only two hours. That's so, all right. So we can rule out that, but it's kind of strange that it's been declining every year for four years. Yeah. I, again, you just look at the numbers, but you know the numbers don't tell you the reason why. And yeah, I can't get my head around why it's yeah. Are some teams off. more accurate than others? I mean, is is there? Yeah. Is it so a, at the moment, again, just looking at this year, so. 
what we do is we can look at your expected accuracy from a certain position. So if you're having a, a shot from somewhere where, you know, 20% goals are kicked you, and you kick a goal, you'll be plus 80% because you've got 100% strike rate. So across the year, West Coast are actually scoring 7% better than they're expected. Melbourne are at 3% better than they're expected and Brisbane at 3%. So again, they're, they're the more accurate teams uh, in terms of looking at where they're taking their shots, how much pressure they're under. So uh, again, West Coast and Brisbane right up the top of the ladder and accuracy is helping them uh, out well. Melbourne's probably the outlier in that one. Um, but the interesting thing for Melbourne is it actually continued on for this week in round four. They were, again, taking into uh, account what we call expected scores, so where you are, how much pressure you're under, where you expected to kick the goal or behind or miss the shot. Yeah. The margin on Friday night, um, the Melbourne-Sydney game, uh, was actually 22 points in favour of Melbourne, who won the game. It should have been 28 points in favour of Sydney had both teams kicked at their expected accuracy. Wow. So that was the, the biggest turnaround in one game this year. That's interesting. And it wasn't there wasn't poor weather. It might have been a little bit greasy, but... But, um, but, but again, that is Melbourne kicking better as well as Sydney kicking worse. Kicking so it's worse a 50-point turnaround just That's based on That's kind of crazy, isn't it? A 50-point turnaround in expected... But, but that, that just shows you've got to take the chances that you create. Yeah. The other theory I've got on this as well is that uh, modern defence is so well drilled and there are, you know, the sort of propensity for defence to push attacking teams to the boundary line and to, to areas where scoring is harder. Maybe that's a thing where, where players back in the sort of the early 2000s and mid-2000s, you'd see a lot of hit-up leads straight out of the middle and they'd be leading 30, 40 metres out directly in front. But now you see a lot of these key forwards having to kick from... 35 to 50 metres out on a sort of 40, 45 degree angle. Maybe... So I did have a close look at it. Don't have the numbers in front of me, but scoring from corridor, accuracy from corridor has gone down as well. So even, even oh, that my theory. sort of stacks, doesn't stack up. They, <laughs> there is the more red shots ball theory from angles, <laughs> but they're not even taking their chances from within the corridor. Give up on your theories, Matt. <laughs> no more theories for me. We, to, uh, talking about it more more broadly, so that those figures are interesting and it's obviously, if, you know, I, I'd say that there would be issues that the, the clubs would really want to look at their goal issues. But the outcry about low scores, do, does the game need high scores to be entertaining? Because the scores are down this year, but from from my eye test, there seems to be a lot of, even if they're, they're lower scoring, they're, they're close games and they keep you engaged through the whole, the so whole game. I'll throw another stat out at you. Uh, so across the first four rounds this year, the average margin across the game is 24.6 points. That's the second lowest it's been since 1961. So in 1980, it was down at about 19 points per game across the first four rounds. So we're seeing closer games. I think people would rather see close games and blowouts and shootouts. Where it's I'm just... really strong on this. I really detest watching games where teams can just waltz into their forward 50 and kick goal after goal in a shootout. I'd much prefer to see some good defence, some good kicking, uh, and, a, and a tighter, lower scoring a pl- game. A player kicking four or five goals in a match should be an achievement, not something that happens six times in a game. Mm. Well, that's well, that's my Neil, do you... Well, I mean... I, you brought the question up, so I thought... Yeah, I'd I did. I, I'd much rather watch a um, watch a, a low-scoring scrap all the way through. Um, but I also like the idea of... It seems that this year, as well as having a lot of close games, which Christian touched on, it seems that to be a year where any team can beat any other. The competition's really close as well. So this is related to the fact that each uh, a lot of games um, are really tight, um, and the AFL has for years wanted the any given Sunday utopia of any team being able to beat any other team, and it, maybe it's maybe it's coming, and that's not a bad thing. We shouldn't be worried about the game because there's not 100 points getting scored each week. We 
we should be celebrating the fact that there's a lot of close games and it seems that every other, every team can beat any other. So just a simple measure, and I can keep an eye on this as the as the season progresses. So between the 18th team for percentage and the top team for percentage, there's a 67% gap. That's the smallest gap since 2005. Uh, a lot of the numbers come back to 2005 being a very close year, and I think that ended up in a one-point grand final victory. Sydney West Coast wins, um, yeah. So again, just... Looking at percentage is a quick way to sort of look at how close is the competition, how far is 18th from first, and at the moment they're sort of closer than... Counting win- winless, but they've been in every single game. Well, they've got a better percentage than the two teams above them, I'm North quite sure, on the, la- yeah. on the ladder, yeah. So, I mean, look, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that because that's, that's quite interesting. But so it is- my message to, to fans and experts is don't panic. You always look for reasons to, to criticise the game and it needs to be a high-scoring game every, every week to be attractive, but that's, that's not no, the case. It doesn't. No, absolutely not. Uh, let's move on to my favourite segment. I've had a gutful. We've got some exciting news about this segment coming up in the next couple of weeks. We think we might have found a sponsor for it, but I'm going to keep my, my lips quite tight on that until that actually eventuates. But Jake, you've been away for the weekend, so you, you, the amount of footy you've watched is probably less than what you'd normally watch, but you've still found something to rant about. What are you yeah, take? well, obviously uh, over in China, they don't. Um, all jokes aside, you don't get too much uh, football over there. So um, I was coming back on the plane and I thought, what can I, uh, what can I rant about this week? And Ben Brown sort of stood out to me, but I thought, no, Matt, Matt's going to have some strong opinions on that. I'll let, I'll let him sort that. And then I got back to Melbourne Airport and I was sitting on the plane waiting to get off and the time sort of ticking and I kept looking at my watch and thinking, when am I going to get back to the office and, and, had an important, and, and do uh, this, this y- podcast? Yeah. And sure enough, 10 minutes passes, 20 minutes passes, 30 minutes passes and I'm still sitting on the plane. And then the, the pilot comes on the radio and says, we, there's a problem with Melbourne Airport. They can't get the air bridge out, so we have to wait longer to get you off the plane. That's the third time it's happened. In the last four occasions, I've arrived back in Melbourne from an international flight, and I'm going to make a huge call. Melbourne Airport is the worst airport, not just in Australia, in the world. I hate Melbourne Airport. It's a dump. Not only, not only does it take forever to get off the, to get off the plane... You go through customs and everything and you get out to where your bag should come, the baggage carousel, and it takes forever to get your bags. And it's a tiny airport. I don't know why it takes an hour to get your bloody bag. <laughs> the, it's the, a joke. I'm sorry, but it's an absolute joke. The get funny, it sorted. The funny thing about this is that you're going to be back at the airport tomorrow <laughs> because you're heading up to Brisbane. Well, don't remind me. <laughs> That's a great rant. I, I was drive expecting... up. I'll leave, I'll leave after this and I'll drive up. <laughs> I was expecting um, something about... Carlton's uh, defensive uh, oh, that's the mechanism, you've had us. <laughs> but that's a good one. I, it's fresh in his mind, obviously, having dragged himself from the airport, you know, an hour or so ago. Any honourable mentions around the room for worst airport you've been in? Uh, I don't know the name of it, but Cuba. When I when I flew to Cuba on my honeymoon a couple of years ago, and producer Val's nodding. Uh, yeah, in agreement. Stinking hot, no air conditioning, lines everywhere, chaos, chickens running around. <laughs> it was an absolute shocker. To be fair, there's some pretty bad ones in China, but yeah, we'll. We won't knock whack the Chinese too much. Christian, have you uh, had some bad experiences? Not bad experiences, just a weird experience. About 10, 15 years ago, I was at Perth Airport at about 4.30 on a Sunday. Um, I think I had... I might have been on the red eye, so I think I had a lot of time to kill. But at about 5, 5.30, I noticed I was the only person in the airport. And I couldn't figure out why Perth was so empty. That's eerie. That's, that's weird. That's, Perth, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> my, my complaint's the opposite. Tom Bradley International Terminal at LAX. I've been there once, never going back. Yeah, you it avoid LAX at all costs. Cannot find a seat in any of the uh, the lounges, uh, the lounges in any of the boarding gate areas. Um, 
it's just people everywhere the yelling, security. screaming, security. It's just awful. So and anyone looking to travel to the States, just go through Dallas or San Francisco San or somewhere else. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Very uh, good rant. Yeah, not bad. I think that's your best yet, Jake. So uh, we'll look forward to next week's one. And the three votes goes to... Yeah, Tom Lynch is going to be my three-vote recipient. I've kind of ruined it a bit early, but how good has he been at Richmond, which has sort of struggled with without Dustin Martin last week, without Trent Cotchin, who's going to be out for another couple of weeks, without Alex Rance, and without Jack yeah. Revolt. I mean, he's come into it. Where would Richmond be without Tom Lynch right now? He's, he's second in the Coleman. He's kicked an average of four goals a game, and his goal-kicking is some of the most accurate in the league. You could argue Richmond would be bottom of the table if it wasn't for Tom Lynch, because he... He wasn't great against Carlton in, the, in their season opener, but he what well, he he did enough. provided a bit of a spark, Still a few. and that you could argue was the difference. You know they they haven't performed that strongly, and then he sort of comes and rescues them again um, on the weekend. So I think all of a sudden you you don't question the move anymore. It's a tick. But that's interesting because a lot of people questioned the recruitment of Tom Lynch, well, including Alex Rance, including Alex Rance, because they'd had that system of Rewalt and a bunch of mediums and smalls. So it's something that haven't happened. He is just that anchor forward, and that's how he's been playing all year. So he's only been involved in nine chains per game. So that's 39th of the 51 key forwards that have played this year. But when he's involved in a chain, Richmond score 81% of the time. That's number one in the comp. The next highest is 71% with Jamie Elliott at Collingwood. So basically, staying close to goal, but why wouldn't he? He's kicking multiple goals each week. He'll probably win the Coleman just playing out of the goal square. He's had 36 touches this year, and he's scored 21 times. Amazing. It's kind of a really good it's a throwback conversion. Isn't isn't the it? old the old goal square gorillas that used to just sit there and, and kick Clunk goals. Up, kick a goal yeah. and that's their that's their gig. We haven't really seen him with Rewalt yet, have we though? Because it kind of Rewalt was he got that bump in the first game yeah, and the, he and the he, wrist and it Yeah, didn't so we haven't well really him. seen that take off yet, so we'll have to keep an eye on that when Rewalt returns. But I think for for what we've seen, yeah, it's a, worth it's, every cent. Oh yeah, early early chance for recruit of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, footytips.com.au is where you can tip uh, with your friends, coworkers, family. Uh, compare your your tips. Neil, how are you going these days? You were <laughs> I was you, had a, you, you had a poor start. Last week? <laughs> I was hoping that you weren't going to mention my tipping. Much like you kind of avoided my gaze there, so I thought I'd just throw to you very quickly. <laughs> I got a I got a, a wonderful three. Uh, oh, you did better week. than me. I got two. Oh, really? You got yeah. two. I got two last week. Yeah. Shocking. I tried to back a couple of upsets that went the wrong way. I think I tipped Carlton. But it's just one of those. It oh. seems to be one of those those years. So across um, round four out of six hundred and fifty odd thousand people, uh, the average score was three point seven. And after four rounds, the average across all those people is after four rounds is to have seventeen tips right. So that's out of thirty six possible games. So the stats Flip show the that coin. you're getting you're getting more wrong than you're getting right, which is just crazy. That the upsets just keep coming. That's like Tom Lynch having twenty one scoring shots from thirty six. Touches. It's exactly. like it's a well. He's he's got a better efficiency than these tipsters at the moment. Certainly does. <laughs> um, so look, I'm not the only one struggling. Uh, I certainly um, my confidence is at an all time low. I, I might as well throw darts at a dartboard this round. I think. But I think you said that last round as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, my darts weren't working. Um, but but something that we that we looked at um, uh, on Twitter was a, a passionate debate amongst a few of us about tipping with your head versus tipping with your heart. Mm. Um, I know that. Uh, I always tip with my head. My, uh, I guess my argument is the fact that you are tipping who you think is going to win rather than who you want to win. And so we opened this up uh, to our followers on Twitter. Do you ever tip against your team or do you always um, do you feel that that's a disloyal act um, towards your team? Incredibly, um, 80% of our respondents said they always tip with their head 
rather than their heart. And one of the best repl- uh, replies was from Nick uh, Negropontis, whose uh, tweet was, I've only only tipped Carlton once since 2016, and if I tipped them every week, I'd be in trouble. I don't think I've ever tipped them. <laughs> um, and, of course, um, then, we, then we asked him, what was the time that you tipped them? And it was round two against Gold Coast last year, and, of course, the Blues lost. They did, yeah. It was at home. I remember that. Um, so it seems that 80%, uh, you know, most people are, are tipping with their head, but we do – there is a, a lot of passionate debate um, from some – Heart fans, if you like, um, including someone whose Twitter handle is at Constant Season, who replied, I tipped my bombers all 22 times in 2016, lost my competition by 12, still felt like a winner. (laughs) Well, considering that year was basically a write off because that was the top up, that was the top up year. Gee, that's not bad. Mm. All right, uh, before we wrap things up, let's go through our locks and our certainties and our outsiders uh, for the week. It's an interesting round of footy, Jake. Do you, do you have any opinions on who your lock and who your outsider is? Yeah, well, I got my lock right last week. I, I said Melbourne. Neil's, Neil's pretty happy about that one. <laughs> I'm going to say Geelong. I think they'll bounce back. I, I think they're a really good side, the Cats. We didn't really talk about them before when we were talking about flag favourites, but... Um, yeah, I don't think they'll play two poor ones in a row, and their stars didn't really perform either, so I expect them to bounce so back against Hawks. Hawthorne. Yeah, Easter um, Monday. Yes, uh, always a good game. Um, i got two upsets for you. I think Port can definitely trouble West Coast. They're an up-and-down sort of sort of side Port, so I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I can certainly see them challenging West Coast. And Sydney-Richmond. Sydney's got a really strong record at, the, at Marvel Stadium. I think, what was it, 16, 16 of their last 20. Yeah. yeah, so um, compare that to one of their last five at the SCG. Yeah. They, they might as well they move down to Marvel. South Melbourne. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, keep an eye on Sydney to knock off the Tigers. Christian? Yeah, I've, I, know, I seem to follow Jake a lot um, <laughs> each week, but my certainty is Geelong as well, even though the game's probably, what is it, three weeks, four weeks away? It's yeah, it's a long <laughs> time, time away. away. Yeah. Uh, they're my certainty. I don't think the Hawks are going too well. And again, yes, Geelong definitely got to be up there in uh, premiership conversation. My outside is probably Brisbane on Thursday night. Sell out at the Gabba. It's going to be a huge one. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to just sitting on the couch and watching that game. But yeah, I'll have Brisbane as my outsider. I've got as my lock, and please, people out there, do not take this with any sort of uh, <laughs> authority because I know I'm going to get it wrong. But I think the Giants will absolutely obliterate Fremantle in Sydney this week. Sorry, producer yeah, that's Val. A lock. That's, a, that's, that's a got. Real a, I know that's a bit of a. That's lock a, of the season so far. <laughs> uh, I, I just, Shoe in of the week. <laughs> I cannot see um, Fremantle getting anywhere near the Giants. Uh, and my outsider, and this probably throws back to the heart versus head debate, I think the Saints uh, to beat the Ds um, is a really good outsider. The Saints uh, have a lot of speed and a lot of weapons on the outside, which Melbourne has been found wanting against um, for most of this season and, and, to be honest, for the last couple of seasons. So wouldn't be surprised if it's St Kilda beat Melbourne at the MCG. Mm, that's interesting. I'm going with my lock to be Essendon. I think they're rolling now, and North beat a pretty poor team last week in Adelaide, so I think the Bombers will get the job done. And my outsider is the Gold Coast Suns to keep things rolling. Uh, they're going to beat Adelaide because the Crows haven't won at Adelaide Oval this year, and they've been extremely disappointing. So, anyway, you can keep in touch with us uh, at Footy Tips on Twitter and at ESPN OzNZ. That's going to do us uh, for this week. We've run a little bit over time. We do apologise, but we'll talk to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.